Okay, well, good to be here. Uh, and for me, a bit of a luxury this morning in that uh, we, I was just running around doing a few bits and so it was really blessed because uh, I didn't actually get here till just before nine o'clock with Elizabeth today. So it was quite weird walking in with all, everything done. So firstly, a huge thank you to everyone that makes things happen um, because, you know, we are more together than we are apart. And uh, that's the biblical message. It's the one that resonates with us. And it's also one that's going to come out of um, Ecclesiastes 5, which actually I think uh, Ben and Jim have pretty much summed things up. You know, in talking about uh, kingdom of God, how we approach and worship God, but also how, how we, we seek to, uh, yeah, just show Jesus to the world around us. You know, I think one of the things that if we go back in our history, you know, it was always we, we, we came into being. Um, you know, back in 2010, with a desire to see people come to know Jesus, and uh, you know, and that's still there. You know, it's what it's what stirs us. It's what kind of just gives us the the alpha leaflets, the pens. Hope we take those uh, postcards. You know, it's not just to sit back, sit back, but to just but to see us. You know, individually come to know God, because I think for all of us, there's still more of God for us to come to know. <laughs> and there's 100,000 people in our town uh, who need to know about God. And so being wrapped up in the purpose and mission of God is fundamental for us. Do you know what I mean? And it doesn't really need much more of an intro than that, you know, if you know your scriptures and stuff. But, but the theme, do you know what I mean, you know, of Ecclesiastes 5 is people meeting with God. So if you're here for the first time, millionth time, whatever, still welcome. But really, it's welcomed by God. Do you know I mean that things are about him? It's not about uh, a band or a backdrop or a school or a cinema or a theater or where you go. It's about people meeting with their God. And so uh, I was reading this and nicking some notes off it. And uh, I found uh, some challenging questions straight off the bat from Ecclesiastes 5. So we're not going to answer these. But if the purpose of Ecclesiastes 5 is people meeting with God, then certainly the first question is, when was the last time you met with God? And let's not confuse that with coming to church. I mean, I'll get that straight out. Do you know what I mean? You know, we're going to go a bit raw today. You know what I mean? It's not about this. When was the last time you really met with God? When was the last time you gathered with God's people in one heart for corporate worship of the one who created everything? You know, what was your attitude and heart and mind this morning? Let's get it right back into today. Did we come to prepare to meet with the creator of all or just roll in and be entertained? Brutal, but, you know, a worship of the living God is different to turning up to watch a film. Different to rolling up to watch a sporting activity, you know? So, so did we roll up, have a sense of duty, a sense of had to be here, or a sense of delight and excitement at meeting God, of realizing that, that you are loved and accepted and welcomed in by the one who created all things? And the, as I say, Ecclesiastes 5, where we're going to go this morning, is Solomon is really doing a deep heart and motive check. You know, it's not it's not a light text, but it's an enlightening text because the problem roughly three thousand years ago seems to be the same as we have today. <laughs> Would you believe it? You know, as Solomon's always said, "There's nothing new under the sun," but but the the problem was three thousand years ago. It seems people were turning up to worship with mixed motives. 
And I would say, arguably today, <laughs> it's pretty much the same. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You know, uh, that, you know, if you, if you read a lot of Christianity blogs and those things, there's something called consumer Christianity, which is just people rocking up, you know, uh, and treating God as a kind of commodity. Do you know what I mean? You know, that, that churches are, are sometimes being forced to push into just creating kind of a religious experience or religious products. And, you know, and I'll be blunt, if you've been part of God Central for a while, you know we had a similar season at the Playhouse where, where we really battled with that very issue. Do you know what I mean? You know, and the result is that we have people sometimes who live as they choose for 167 hours a week and then turn up for one hour a week on a Sunday and think that it's all fine. And that's not a biblical picture. And that's where Solomon is going to talk to us. So I've asked uh, Elizabeth uh, to come up and just read us. And this morning we're going to just be in the first seven verses of Ecclesiastes 5. So those of you who are like Daniel and Bill, very, very tech savvy, flicking there on their phones already. Uh, those of us who are more orthodox like myself are just going to find it in something called a Bible, which still has pages and paper. I'm kind of halfway there, Lee. I'm kind of erring between both. Um, but Ecclesiastes 5... When you're ready, Elizabeth, I have just got there now. (laughs) Ecclesiastes chapter 5, from verse 1. As you enter the house of God, keep your eyes open and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises. And don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth. So let your words be few. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words make you a fool. When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following true, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you seen. And don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. That will make God angry. And he might wipe out everything you have achieved. The last verse. Talk is cheap like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. Brilliant. Thank you, Elizabeth. Let's just pray. Yeah, Father God, thank you (laughs) that you are the creator of all, the sustainer of all, that you are a God of endless and abounding love, who is rich in mercy, who is slow to anger and desiring everyone to willingly bow the knee before you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, making that possible. We thank you for your Holy Spirit being with those who have chosen to follow you. And we pray this morning, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate Jesus? Would you cause this text, the words we've sung, the, the chat we have over coffee, would you cause it to fuel us in our mission to make you more famous, to live for you all of our days? God, this morning we ask with sincere hearts, yeah, would we be edified and would Jesus be glorified? And we ask that in the beautiful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, that's a good amen. This is always good. 
you know, so, so the passage. And uh, for those who are more worship-based, uh, let me just throw out there. Yep, uh, if you saw the title, Friendship and the Fear, uh, Matt Redman wrote an album back in 1997 based upon this. Okay, so there's a song there as well for those who like to do their devotionals. Um, it's, it's a recurring theme. And Solomon, uh, as, as uh, Elizabeth just read, he starts by talking to, to those who are on the way to the temple. He's assuming, therefore, that they're on the way to a temple where they'd worship. And the reason I think he starts there, and most theologians say he starts there, is that as mankind, you and I are worshippers. <laughs> the truth is, uh, you know, and let's be clear on this, that everyone everywhere actually worships something. You know, we all live for something. You know, you know, for those of us in this room, many of that, us, that may be Jesus. But if we look at the wider lens, you know, the same sort of lens Solomon was writing to, you know, we're talking about people who live for approval, who live for status, who live for family, who live for themselves, who look for uh, accumulation of stuff. Do you know what I mean? You know, and so the questions to start running through your mind are, you know, well, what motivates me? What do I live for? What defines me? Where do I find my sense of self-worth? Because, you know, biblically, worship is not just limited to a time and a place or a style of music. You know, Solomon didn't say, thou shall attend Pemberley Academy <laughs> at 9.30 till 12.30 on a Sunday. No, no, do you know what I mean? You know, you know, he's writing generally. And different cultures embrace worship in different ways. You know, we know if you've, if you've got any study or you've been through the British education system, which is brilliant at this, we know that cultures of the past, you know, they educate on, you know, there were people who worshipped the stars, who worshipped the moon, who worshipped the seasons, the harvests, the rain. You know, you know, in England, we don't think of it, but it, rain was a huge blessing and <laughs> something to be prayed for in other places. In England, I think they probably don't get that. But do you know what I mean? You know, but there are these seasons. And then... There were people, you know, listen, you know, Egypt, you know, uh, I loved going down the British Museum a couple of years ago and really going there. But the pharaohs were seen as gods. Do you know I mean? So there's people always being made up to be gods, you know, and that's the time gone past. Now, if you throw that to the 21st century, you can see a lot of parallels because, you know, again, you know, we're still after the stuff. Do you know I mean? It's just, it now has an Apple label rather than maybe being something we dug out the ground. You know, it may be a new car. It, you know, status has always been there in jobs and other things. Do you know what I mean? You know, the, the, the lack of uh, Pharaoh being a god. Well, look at some of, the, some of the celebrity status, you know, whether that be music or sport or whatever else. There, there are parallels of us, of us riling and, and thinking, what do we worship? You know, you know, I mean, Nod and I, we sit on opposite sides, but both of us would agree. We've got friends who literally worship football. You know, the players, the teams, the stadiums, which I will say our one's better. Um, but, do you know what I mean? You know, but it becomes that sort of level of thing, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? That we're pushing in on this. And the God of the Bible, let's not be honest here, he cares a lot about worship. He cares a lot about worship. Because as our creator... He deserves the right to be the main focus of our worship because he created us and he created everything else and therefore everything else he created is unworthy of worship in comparison to him. It's not saying they're not good, but he is above it all. You know, you know we often look at, uh, at things that we create, well, they just point to the creator. You know, I, I learned to love a little bit of art with my nan. I love that. But it points to an artist. You know, you know we're, we're, his, we're his pinnacle. 
So therefore, we're called to come and worship him. You know, I've, I've put on the slide, you know, we were made by God. We were made for God. And worship is to, be the right, is to the right God in the right way with the right heart. Do you know what I mean? Um, it will come up somewhere. Okay, but that's, that's the essence of things, is that, you know, we're made by God, we're made for God, and our worship's got to be to the right God in the right way with the right heart. And, uh, and we're just going to unpick a bit of what Solomon's talking about, because uh, what Solomon's referring to in his way of entering the house is always he's referring to the temple in those days. So let's try and do a little bit of a history lesson. It won't be as, as comprehensive as some, but I just want to go back there. And, and the temple in Solomon's time, we know, is the second temple, the one that he was commissioned to, buy, uh, to build by God, that God had given the dimensions. So God was the architect, had designed it. Um, I did a quick search on it, and apparently it took about 153,000 workers seven years to construct. So it's, it's a fairly substantial temple. But let me be clear here, okay? Let's be 100% clear here. The temple was not needed by God. <laughs> He's got the whole cosmos. It wasn't needed by God. It was rather needed by God's people because, because the people needed something. You know, the God who created heavens and earth, it tells us it does not need a home built by man. You know, it's not like God's like, oh, I'm a bit stuck. Where shall I rest? Do you mean, oh, I better hope these men build me a temple. No, no, no. God created. God resides. But for us... As mankind, it turns out that in some time, people needed a place to go to meet with God. A place they should go, as Solomon's saying. And there are five primary reasons for the temple, and I'm going to go quickly. And again, these should hopefully, there they are, they're, they're there. Okay, the five primary reasons for the temple is, number one, it was a place. It was a place where people could connect between God's home in heaven and our home on earth. So it's kind of like a, a lump where you could connect. It's the presence you know, you know, we prayed this morning, we pray every morning at sort of 9.30, the presence and favour of God. You know, the temple was where God's presence dwelt, where the Holy of Holies was in the middle. You know, the Ark of the Count, you know, it was a beautiful place where the presence of God was. You know, the people, you know, the temple was a place where God's people could gather into the presence of God. Do you know what I mean? You know, we could go through it with courts and everything. But no, you know, it's a, in, in essence, it was a place. And as Ben shared earlier, you know, there was a priest there. And the priest oversaw the ministry of the temple. And he was the mediator, the intercessor in those days between God and the people. Do you know I mean so the people would come, you know, uh, and, and they would bring it in and the priest would, would mediate, would come in. And then the last one, and I thought I'd go for the big word, do you know, in propitiation. Okay, propitiation is a pacifying and appeasing and making right. You know, that basically we've got sinful people. <laughs> just, as the, just as today, we had sinful people in the past. And they're coming via the priest to make a sacrifice that's, that's right with God. And, and that was the purpose of the temple. You know, it was a place, it was presence, it was people, it was priest, and it was propitiation. Okay, I wasn't going to put it in there because I do struggle with it. And I thought, no, let's just go for it. So we have a laugh. But, but you know, it's massive that this is, this is the underlying part of the temple. And the worshipper, do you mean, you know, on the way to the temple, you know, as Solomon says, it's a hugely, hugely helpful statement. As Solomon's saying, as we get towards the temple, do you mean, draw near to God to listen to him. You probably picked it up in when Elizabeth read it. It's quite different 
to how Ben Clark sometimes approaches things. And I'll let you put your name in there, but there's a few smiles. You know, the, it, basically Solomon says, our first thing is to draw near to God to listen to him. The first responsibility of a worshipper to meet with God is not to be rash with our mouth, not to be quick to speak, but to draw near to listen. He says a fool uses many words. I cut down some words on this sermon after reading that. <laughs> the language is strong, however. Okay, And why is it strong? Well, I don't know, but I remember being very little and being taught very clearly that I had two ears and one mouth and I needed to use them in that order. <laughs> And, uh, and that's when we often uh, talk to one another, isn't it? You know, I'm really bad, Claire tells me, is Claire just wants to talk and unload things. And I just want to fix it. So she starts talking. I'm like, we well, should try this and try this. And I've, I'm learning after 15 years. I've not learned a lot. But I'm learning that quite often we, we just sometimes want to, thanks, Gillian, we want to vocalize things, don't we? You know, and there's something about processing and talking. And if that's how it is with humans, just change this to an all-knowing, sovereign, awesome God. You know, you know, it might be a good idea sometimes just to stop and listen to him rather than just start flirting, I think. You know, and I think that's what someone's getting at is, you know, to sit in silence to see if God would speak to us via his Holy Spirit because it tells us he's always speaking, but we're not always listening. You know, and I think if we look at our, our Sunday morning worship time, if we bring it to the 21st century, I think it's why we, we don't solely just sing songs, but we also sit, we also listen to God's word read. We also take time to process because worship is responding to God. And if we're going to respond to God, then we've got to listen in the first place. Because if not, we're, we're not responding to anything. We're just acting as we want. And the Bible calls us to respond to God that he initiates. And, and that, that spoke heavily to me, that you know, there's a way we approach, learning to begin our time with God by listening and, and avoids two errors that I think happen sometimes in my world and maybe yours. And, uh, and I think the two things that can ha often be an error by mankind coming to worship is number one, um, sometimes people can come to God thinking they're going to impress him. You know, that we think we've got all this stuff that we're just going to give to God and he's going to be like, oh, that's brilliant. You know, and I've shared before, I had an analogy years ago when, I was really, when our kids were really small. I opened the door one day and one of my daughters ran in with like these two Lego blocks that were just like random colors stuck together and was like, daddy, daddy, daddy. And obviously I was like, oh, wow, that's so good. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> It wasn't. It was just two Lego blocks that were barely stuck together. <laughs> Do you know I mean they, were, they weren't even the same colour? Do you know I mean? But my delight was that's so good. And often I think that's how God views us. Do you know I mean that we come up with this stuff? You know, oh, we've turned up here. We've preached this. We've done this good deed. And He's like two Lego blocks. <laughs> I'm God. I created it. And yet we still try to have this impression thing. Um, and the second uh, common error, I think, sometimes when we come to worship, is that we treat God a bit like we're meeting with uh, an employee who needs a long list of orders of what to do. Like, here I come, God. <laughs> a to B to C, could you do D? Uh, and we forget that he's God and we're not. That we come you know, with, with like a shopping list or a list of chores. And, you know, and we need to remember that, that, yes, God loves us. 
<laughs> yes, God served us immeasurably by dying on a Roman cross. But we need to be absolutely clear that God does not take orders from us and nor, neither does God follow us. That it's the other way round. That, that he <laughs> is almighty. It is all about Jesus. And the real challenge to that is that's so countercultural to all our thinking. You know, a lot, I mean, I'm, I work in education. Um, and in education, along a lot of places, uh, there's a, a lot of credence given to the work that psychologists did in the sort of 20th century, particularly um, American uh, Abraham Maslow, who had his hierarchy of needs. And most of us will be familiar with some sort of hierarchy of needs. And what happens in, with a lot of these is it's all about self-actualization, which leads to self-love, to self-help, to everything revolving around the self. That's, that was the thinking of the 20th century. And, and nothing is above the self. And, and so therefore, if you then take that worldview and you throw in a God, whether that's a God, 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 Goddess, uh, or whatever else, he, she, they exist, whatever that, that being is, that being in, uh, exists in essence to serve the self, to serve man. Because if man's at the top of things, everything else feeds into that. And, and also here, as Christians, <laughs> rooted in the word of God, it's totally not about that. It's totally not about the self, but rather about the glorification of the one true God. It's about, it's about lifting up the name of Jesus, which leads us to love God more. To help and do things for the name and renown of our God. You know, I keep bleating on about Isaiah 26, verse 8, but walking humbly in your ways, O God, we wait for you, your name and your renown. You know, we're called God central, not you central, for a reason. Do you know what I mean? You know, you know and, and, it, and it's this that it's hitting at from Ecclesiastes 5, the worldview of it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. I love you all. But I, I'm a living for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love having you all in my life. I love the input. But I live for him, for the renown of, of my God. You know, and, it, and I don't take that lightly. You know, and so we need to remember where real meaning is. Okay, that's the foundation. Moving quickly on. Okay, that, what are the implications of that? Where does the meat hit the bone? Well, if God is the center of worship and not us, and if worship begins with listening and not speaking, then Solomon has already given us a biblical pattern of worship, really. is that we, we come, <laughs> we stop, we acknowledge, and we go. And, and if you go back to, the, back to Genesis, which uh, we went to in the last couple of sermons as well, Genesis 1 and verse 28, okay? I'm going to read it, and you'll get where I'm coming from. This is straight after God's made man. And straight after God's made man, uh, the Bible says, God blessed them and said. Okay? So this is the first encounter of our parents, 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 whatever Ben was doing in terms of generations earlier, of us that literally we're created, God blesses and speaks. And that's, what we're, that's where we can expect to come to our God. Is that if we're living with a right heart before him, we can expect his blessing and we can expect him to commune with us. 
that nothing has changed from the beginning to the end, that we can expect that. But we need to note here that God is sovereign, <laughs> that he blesses according to how he blesses, because he's God and I'm not. And we need to realize that he can't be controlled, he can't be manipulated or forced in any way. And yet, at times again, I'm going to go there and say bluntly, I think we try to. Do you know what I mean? You know, I think sometimes we come up with rash promises, little vows between God. You know, God, if you do this when I'm under pressure, I'll, I'll do this. I'm trying to cut a deal with God, <laughs> which is ridiculous when you say it. And yet, for most of us, we've probably been there somewhere along the line where we're before God. And it's like, well, you do this, I'll do it. No, he's God. <laughs> okay? We get our hearts right. He blesses. He speaks. We live for his glory. We don't tell him how to do things. You know, you know, the deal cut for us was that Jesus left heaven, died a horrible death, so that we can have eternal life with God. That's the deal. That's the best deal. Let's not try and cut another one because it isn't going to be the same. You know, and, uh, and, and yet we come against it, you know, where people are like, I swear on the Bible or I swear on this or, or you know, and then a crisis comes and, and it's like, no, no, no. Let's just root ourselves in who God is, on his greatness, on his majesty. You know, let's not try and build in empty promises, which we're going to bail on. Let's just be grateful that God's promises are true. That he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He has the best in his heart and in his plan for you. It is better than you think for you. It is certainly better than the spouses think for one another or parents think for one another. That we trust in the sovereignty and the might of our God. And we learn not to make empty promises. Because as the Bible tells there in Ecclesiastes 5, they make God cross. <laughs> which you can kind of see. Because, you know, we're settling for less than he wants. And as a parent, I've learned a bit of that, that when I've got something for my daughters and they just do something different, it, it grates with you. <laughs> you know, when you're looking around at friends and you're thinking, why are you doing that? <laughs> Can't you see? It's obvious. Yeah, there's an element of God. You know, his, his frustration at, come on, you're my child. I've got this beautiful plan for you. And yet you're trying to do something different. Do you know I mean, it's, it, you know, it's just so, yeah, so there. And... Uh, and so coming back in, okay, coming back into land, <laughs> friendship and the fear of God. Matt Redmond, 1997. Where, where was he coming from on this? Okay, I think he's coming from the fact that, yeah, we have an unbelievable relationship on offer with God. But that we need to have a right response to God and realize that he is the Almighty. Uh, there's, a, there's a phrase, and I, I thought I'd get some Latin in this morning just because I could. <laughs> so, uh, Coram Deo, I found. It means in the presence of God. And a lot of the theologians say about the, the Ecclesiastes, what, what Solomon is trying to do is he's trying to get us to live our lives in the presence of God. Do you know what I mean? The, the, the whole of life is in the presence of God. You know, so therefore we live our days under it. Because when we die, yeah, the Bible tells us all will stand to give account. You know, we know that that's coming. And it's not going to be to a mirror. I'm not going to stand before a mirror and say, well, uh, Ben, you did this. Yes, you did this. No, I'm going to stand before a holy God. And my life is going to come before me. And 
for the non-Christian, that's a scary proposition. You know, the fear of coming before a God who you've chosen not to follow, who you've rebelled against, is sobering and should help us as a church look with God's heart to tell people about him. For us as Christians, yeah, Jesus is our propitiation. But it still means that we, that we fear God by living a, a God-fearing, honouring life of him. That we don't willingly and consciously live a co- different to his ways. That we try to live his ways. That, 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 we, that we try to keep holy. Do you know what I mean? And I think the fear of God, you know, it's not a terror. It's a, it's a healthy respect. You know, and I think again in culture we've lost lost a bit of healthy respect. You know, I was reading some uh, some works from uh, from about a hundred years ago on this, and they talked about you know men standing as ladies entered the room and opening doors and a culture of kind of fear and honour. And I think that's what the Bible is talking about here. You know, it's a fear, it's holding God rightly. You know, you know, it's it's not a fear of uh, of you know that it's just shaking us and waking us. It's just actually, do you know what? I respect, I honour, I live before. I remember, you know, my, my dad and my, and my granddad particularly. You know, I knew they loved me, but I knew at times, <laughs> you know, yeah. And, it, and their love was so unconditional, you know, even, even at different moments, you know. And I think that's what it means, to, you know, the fear of God is, is just actually, God, I'm not going to take you for granted. I'm not going to treat you badly because you're almighty. I trust in you, and yet I'm going to get things wrong, and I trust in that restoration and grace a lot, a lot, a lot. But I do have you know, a healthy fear and respect. And I think as we really do come into land, you know, that's something as a church in, in the 21st century we've got to hold. Because I think at times we've taken grace, we've taken love, and we've lost some of the other bits. Um. Coming to meet with God is to invite the King of Kings to rule and reign in our lives. <laughs> Coming to God, I've put, means our focus goes on our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we begin by listening. And right as I come into land and the band come back up, you know, I'm going to finish by going back to temples. Because today, the temple which they referred to there in Ecclesiastes 5, we know no longer exists. You know, different time teams and different ex- excavations have done bits. But we know that, that there is now no longer a place we need to go to worship God. That when Jesus died, it tells us clearly the temple curtain was torn, top to bottom. And therefore, there is now free access into the presence of God. You know, we're not confined by space, but everyone has the ability to meet with God wherever they are. That's the beautiful news. You know, and in AD 70, we know that that temple was destroyed just as Jesus promised it would be. You know, so as Christians, we don't gather to a temple. We don't have to go to meet with God physically somewhere, but we do have to instead meet with Jesus and make a conscious decision to meet with him wherever we may be. And I've put in here, you know, the temple was, you know, the Old Testament is always pointing to to a fulfillment in the New Testament. And the temple, you know, it points to Jesus. And Jesus, it says, fulfills the five functions of the temple. And this is where we're going to land. Is it place? You know, Jesus is God, became man, and the connecting point between heaven and earth. 
No longer a temple. Jesus. Presence. Jesus is the presence of God on earth. <laughs> Everywhere. People. Jesus is where people, go, the people of God go to meet together spiritually in worship. We gather to him. <laughs> in him. You know, the priest. Jesus is our high priest. We don't need someone to, to mediate for us. It was done. It was finished. And the propitiation, Jesus is the one who made a way. He laid down his life. You know, the Bible tells us that because of Jesus, our bodies are now a temple where God dwells. You know, you can look at the person next to you, but don't. Do you mean they're a temple in which God dwells? <laughs> Practically, this means we don't have to go to a place to meet with God, but rather God has come to meet with us in every single place. You know, for, for those reasons, all of your life, all of my life, is worship. Lived in the presence of God, a God who speaks to us, a God who speaks life to us, a God who welcomes us and asks us to listen to him, to walk with him all the days of our life and promises that he will be with us for eternity. Every moment of every day is an opportunity to worship God by the power of his Holy Spirit. That's the good news that we live in. That's what Jesus has done. And as a, as a church... We're going to enjoy God. We're going to worship him. We're going to forget about temples and Pemberley Academy. We're going to boldly walk where angels fear to tread and glorify God together. So if we can just stand, um, literally we're going to pray and we're going to return to worship. And I want to provoke us this morning deliberately that as we worship, it's not, it's not just about one or two. It's about God speaking to us. So if you've got bits of scripture, if you've got pictures and stuff, come and feed them into me. I'll be down the front here with Dan, okay? Because we trust in God. And uh, in closing, I felt for some people, you know, that worship is a release. Worship does release something in us and take us to places. And I know there's life situations and stuff. And I'm a firm believer that as we fix our eyes on Jesus, everything else fades away. So Father God, we, we thank you that we, for who you are. We thank you that we no longer have to travel to temples or places. We thank you for the freedom that you have paid for us. Lord, and we pray, change us, mould us, help us to understand you more, to grow more in you, to not take you for granted, and to live for the honour of your name, to see ourselves transformed, our town transformed, and nations transformed by the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.